This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Now, a lot is going on out in the news, isn't it? You got the uh, folks doing the, the hearings at the different state legislatures, uh, disputing the election. You got others say that the election was solid and we should all move on and concede. And I'm not giving my opinion one way or the other. I, 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 do, I do have my opinion, but I don't want to present that to you. That's not the goal or purpose of this radio program. Uh, we, we do want to talk about the news. I know I don't haven't been doing that much lately because it's just been so so much a downer, and I, I want to lift you up. I want you to be encouraged with Scripture and things from God's Word. And we are going to be getting that uh, today from John chapter 8. But I want to tie it in with some of the things going on in the news, and that has to do with this election. And um, I want to talk about a little... Uh, with these these hearings at the state legislatures. We had one here in Arizona where uh, the former mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani, was there uh, representing Trump and, and Trump's lawyer, Jenna Ellis, uh, showing, presenting uh, evidence and, and things that uh, bring to mind that we ought to, or that they're saying that they, they ought to uh, do a forensic forensics audit of systems. And I think that's their goal, is to try to get them to, to really look deep at these things. And we, we saw that happen in Georgia. Uh, was there another one? Yeah, they're uh, up in Michigan. They're having one today. Uh, this morning, I think they're having another one tomorrow as well. I, I'm looking at both sides. You've got one side demanding, not a recount, but an audit. Then the other side saying, no, we don't need that. It was the most secure election ever. Concede and move on. Well, I want to go back to uh, 20 years ago, George W. Bush and Al Gore. I remember when that election occurred, I, I voted in that election, and everything was you know, blowing up down there in Florida. You remember that? And Al Gore had lost, and, um, oh wait, no, no, he'd won. I think George Bush called for a recount, which he had the right to do. There, there was a recount and got votes and ended up winning the state. So Al Gore wanted a recount and uh, they, they did another recount and they added more votes to George W. Bush, which infuriated Al Gore's side. And I can understand that. So they had the right to sue and took it to the courts and went all the way to the Supreme Court. They had every right to do that. That's they, they, they could do that all the way to December, I think, 14th or 15th or whenever, when the electors arrive in D.C. and actually vote for president. And uh, so they had every right to do these things. And everyone on both sides, yeah, yeah, were, were either side frustrated. Well, yeah, they wanted to win and wanted it to be over with, but they allowed the, the system to take place. If you want to know the truth... You will dig into the facts or into the data, find facts. 
that's all I think is going on now. Even if the the roles were flipped, uh, you know, if it was Trump that won uh, and Biden's side was wanting uh, to do all these recounts, they should do it. Or not just a recount, a forensic audit. Okay, sure. Both sides get to take a look. Not just one, both sides. Okay? And that's how you know truth. Over here in John chapter 8, I want to read for you what is going on. I want to, I'm going to start in verse 12, if you don't mind. It says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, this is the Jews, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. I want to hark on what he said there in verse 12. For Jesus says, I am the light of of the world. Now, generally, when we read that, and he says that he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, we, we think of you know a dark place, and you could see light, the light because when you, you're in a dark room and there's a little bit of light, you boy, you focus on that. You know, you can see the light. Light exposes stuff, doesn't it? It exposes something. It exposes the truth. It lets you know about things. In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about this very thing. We were talking about that in our WebEx Bible study on Sunday night, how we are to be light in this world. We expose things. And people who do things in secret, they don't want their secrets exposed because they do it in secret because they know inherently that it is wrong for them to do that. And so light exposes these things. Jesus is going to expose the truth. And they may not want it. And so they get a little frustrated. And Jesus is going to be exposing some more truths here in just a moment. Look at verse 19. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, 
you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Now, that's what we're going to be talking about, that believing here in just a moment. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now here's the kicker. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Okay, so let's talk about verses 31 and 32. The terms Christian and disciple, they're used interchangeably in Scripture. Each word carries its own uh, distinctiveness, but disciple always denotes that a student or learner. We may also add believer uh, into that word group that describes Christ followers. Each of these terms carried great significance in the first century in which they were given birth, but uh, are generally muddled, I think, in our own time. So in the early beginnings of the church, no one had difficulty identifying those who should be called Christian, disciple, or believer. Yet the intervening centuries have seen a gradual development of the problem of identification. A confused world must now distinguish varieties of Christians based on denominational allegiance. Now, obviously, not all who wear these designations are entitled to them. Paul explains this, uh, the meaning of Jew, for example, in Romans chapter 2. Jesus clarifies our understanding of disciple in John 8, 31 and 32. In the midst of so many, you could say, modern definitions, just who are true disciples? The distinguishing elements are laid out in the words of Jesus. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus, in the context of this, he's in the city of Jerusalem on the occasion of the Feast of Booths, and a crowd gathers in the, in the temple area where Jesus delivers his remarks here. And within the audience are some religious leaders. They oppose Jesus. They want him dead. But John also notes that in this narrative that as Jesus was discussing the matters recorded, recorded uh, here in our, our passage that we read, 
many, there in verse 30, came to believe in him. The words of Jesus in verses 31 and 32 seem to be directed to those who came to believe. Students of John's gospel wrestle with that, that question of whether these who came to believe, are, are they genuine in their belief? Uh, uh, the struggle is due to their that pronoun, they, in verse 33. They answered him, and they answered and said to him in verse 41. They said to him later on. And each of these ver- verses, uh, the response of the they to Jesus' teaching seems inconsistent with people who have become disciples of the Lord. Yet there is no getting around the context that they must refer to uh, those who came to believe and that Jesus is directing his thoughts to this group with the audience. So we need to recognize that John uses the term believe as James uses the term faith. Remember that from James uh, chapter 1 or 2, 3, and 4? There are two levels of faith or belief. There's two levels. The primary level involves the intellectual acceptance of certain facts. When you accept something as true, then it may be said that you believe it. James would argue that this intellectual acceptance of facts is insufficient to save you. John also presents the idea that this level of faith only brings you to the first step of salvation. In his words, uh, believers of this sort uh, have the right to become children of God. They have the right. That's uh, from John chapter 1, verse 12. And when you have the right to do something, it doesn't mean you act on that right. right? You You understand? They've got the right to do it, but will they? So what one must become... He is yet to be, is what I'm trying to say. And number two, there is a sec, the second level of belief, which moves beyond intellectual insight. It is the kind of belief that leads to behavior based on the belief. James argues that demons have only the first level of belief, and this is why they will not be saved. On the other hand, James illustrates saving faith with the examples of Rahab and Abraham who behaved in accordance with their belief. Many will claim to be disciples calling Jesus their Lord, but the mere claim is insufficient, isn't it, to make uh, uh, them genuine followers of Christ. We may safely conclude, I think, that here in John 8.30, there are those in the crowd who have reached the first level of faith and are beginning to accept Jesus and some that cla- uh, uh, some of the claims he is making them, they're, they're starting to accept that. The uh, ensuing conversation probably indicates that these will rise no higher in faith than this. To these, Jesus will now address his thoughts. He will lay before them the qualities of true disciples. Now, I want to go back to what we were talking about in the beginning of this program with the the, the election, the disputing of the election, and and what's going on. A lot of people are saying, you don't have evidence. You don't have evidence. Uh, Well, um, yeah, I've listened to a few of these, and you got to remember, 
they, they recognize that a lot of people are in the first level of, of belief that, yeah, something is, is wrong. And that's what they're trying to get the legislatures to. There's something wrong. And they want them to act on that belief. Look into it. That's all we're asking. And they have a right to do that. Whether you agree or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's what the law says. That's what the Constitution uh, makes clear. And that's all I, I'm saying with, uh, to that fact. And that is the same thing that Jesus does. He is saying, look, there's, there's a couple of levels here. You don't just believe and you're saved. There's a first level, believing, an intellectual level, and then there's acting on that belief, acting on it. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, there, there are three points to be found in the words of Jesus which set forth the qualities of a genuine follower of Christ, a genuine follower. Here's the first one. True disciples are those who abide in his word. If you abide in my word, then then you are truly disciples of mine. So that, that comes after them believing. Or, I mean, uh, yeah. So if you continue my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So that's what he's getting at. Now, going back to if you abide in my word, that word if denotes a condition of expectancy, right? You can expect the conclusion to be true only if the condition stated prevails. In other words, one may be counted as a true disciple if and only if he meets the condition stated here, if he abides in the word of Jesus. The word abide, that means to remain in or to live within the sphere of the teaching of Jesus. I like F.F. Bruce. He correctly says, to remain in Jesus' word is to adhere to his teaching, to direct their lives by it. That's from his uh, commentary, The Gospel of John, 1983, page 196. The word, of course, refers to the message that Jesus brought from heaven. It is the gospel of salvation. It is the heavenly standard of conduct for those who wish to follow Christ. You're not earning your way, but this, if you're really going to be his disciple then you're going to abide by his word. So the condition also implies that if one is not remaining in his word, then he is not a true disciple, no matter what he might claim. Within the present religious culture, I think a lot of folks confuse loyalty to church tradition or doctrine as abiding in the word. Well, these church loyalists could never be true disciples of Jesus because they don't meet the condition of discipleship. Being church-centered is not the same as being Christ-centered. There's a difference. So that's number one. True disciples are those who abide in his word. Number two, true disciples know the truth, and you shall know the truth. Jesus indicates that knowing Truth is a natural consequence of abiding in the word. When you stay within the limits of the teachings of God's word, then he is certain, you're certain to arrive at truth. To refuse to remain within the teaching of Jesus is to listen to someone other than Jesus, making one a disciple of someone other than Christ. Note that Jesus' statement here places an emphasis on 
my word, my word, and the disciples of mine. Uh, you got that word, no, K-N-O-W, that's a biblical term of relationship. It involves more than recognition of facts. Some people may have a, a comprehension of facts, but if they live out their existence in contradiction to those facts, we could never say they really know truth. But when a man abides in the word of Christ, continually adjusting their behavior to the Lord's teaching, then they enter into a new relationship with truth, right? True disciples are people who want truth. They are not interested in following lies or deception, so they have no loyalty to any religion or denomination. If they are truly disciples, then their loyalty is to Christ. They want only his word. Consider a couple of important points. Number one, true disciples will not listen to their church. Rather, they will listen to Christ. They don't rest their salvation on the preacher, do they? They dig deep. A modern church may or may not require very much from their members. Today, in a number of religious groups, you can be a member in good standing and have only a sporadic attendance record. Never contribute a dime and never uh, involve yourself in ministry. But the true disciple wants to know what Jesus says and what Jesus requires of him. Not what comes forth from his church organization. He wants to be right with the Lord and not the church. And number two, in like manner, a true disciple never looks for loopholes in Christ's word so that they can somehow justify their sinful actions or a new direction that they would like to take in doctrine. The true disciple wants only truth, no matter how painful, no matter what the personal cost. True disciples will never manipulate Scripture. And that's a fact. Okay. Uh, number three. I guess we're short on time. i got to get through this. True disciples are free. True disciples are free. And the truth will set you free. Freedom is the natural consequence of a relationship with truth. This is freedom in its genuine sense, enslaved to no one. If a person twists scripture in order to be loyal to their church, denomination, or whatever, they are enslaved to that domination, denomination. If a person distorts, distorts scripture in order to, to justify sin, you become enslaved to sin. Such people are not listening to the word of Jesus. Rather, they adhere to the dictates of someone or something else. But truth sets us free. The true disciple is not shackled to a religious tr uh, tradition. They want only to be right with the, the Lord, and they, uh, they are free from all men, and they listen only to the Lord God. Being freed from sin, the true disciple does not uh, try to hold on uh, unto that sin, nor do they try to justify the presence of it in their life. Like, like David, when he was called out for his sin in Bathsheba, he didn't try to justify it. They become dead to their former relationship. One cannot be listening to the beckoning voice of sin and still abide in the word of Christ. It just can't happen. It cannot happen. Being a disciple 
is more than just accepting Jesus. It is more than being baptized and joining some church. Discipleship carries a price tag, doesn't it? It's going to cost you something. It will cost you everything. Some within the present generation will only climb to the level of those who came to believe, like those here at the the temple in Jerusalem. So many modern believers have only accepted intellectually a few things from the teaching of Jesus, but are unwilling to pay the price to remain in his word. These consider all biblical statements to be negotiable. Whenever Jesus' word teaches something with which they disagree, they follow their own inclination, their own desires, justifying their actions on the basis of freedom of interpretation, unwilling to pay the price for the truth. These never really come to know truth, and they're unable to break the shackles of their slavery. A person who thinks they have truth while still holding on to a lie, they're chained in their own destruction. We need to think about that. There's a lot of folks out there who think, well, yeah, I, ha- I know Jesus. I have truth. But they haven't acted on it. They haven't really changed their life. And you know, you know that you, if you're honest with yourself, you know. And that opportunity, every breath you have is an opportunity to make things right with the Lord. All he asks is that you try. Just try and keep trying. And never give up. And keep on moving toward the light. And you will be free. And you will enter into his rest. Thank you. And may the Lord be with you always. Bring the message out. Sinning up to sweep away till shut on the better day. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.